Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hey, good morning, guys. Hey, congratulations on um, surviving uh, Hurricane Drizzle last week. Uh, man, you know what? Even though it wasn't as, uh, uh, as, in, as intense as many were anticipating, you know, I, was, I was thinking about it after the fact. I'm as frustrated as I was looking out the window and just seeing the drizzle going, son of a gun, why did... Um, but I'm so proud, actually, of how, as a church family, we approached it with the information that we had at the time. And so I just want to say well done for that. Hopefully you guys got a little sleep. Uh, I mean, watch church online. Uh, but I know that means like sleep in. Come on. I know, I know how. Uh, so, yeah. But I just want to say, uh, yeah, glad you survived. We will rebuild, guys. We will rebuild. Um, before we hop in, a couple things I uh, want to highlight. One is we just want to honor the teachers in the room. So if you are a teacher, if you are a professor, if you're a faculty member uh, at a school, could you go ahead and stand up? If you can go ahead and stand up. I know you're here. Yes. Stay standing. Stay standing. We have a gift for you guys. We have a gift for you guys. So stay standing. And if you didn't stand and you're like, all right, now you can stand. All right. Uh, Hopefully I'll buy you five or six coffees at Starbucks, uh, depending on what you, unless you get something bougie, then I might buy you two. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we just want to honor you guys. I, I mean, as a parent, I feel like my hair club for men, and not only as uh, president, but as a client myself. Uh, as a parent, I just want to say thank you uh, for putting up with our kids specifically. Uh, it's uh, really appreciated. You guys are making you guys are making a difference. Uh, I mean that with all my heart. Uh, second thing I just want to bring up is uh, you guys hear us talk about young lives a lot. The reason why young lives is so near and dear to our heart uh, is because they rally around a group of individuals who. Uh, yeah, have made some decisions that they probably, their life probably wasn't on a path that would have been their uh, desire, that would have been their dream, but they found themselves in a situation. And aren't you glad that, you know, we, t- we, can, we can judge people uh, for their actions and we want to be judged for our intentions. Uh, aren't you glad that a lot of our uh, decisions we made that we weren't exactly the most, the, the best decisions in hindsight, that God's grace is sufficient, right? Uh, so uh, what we, we do is we rally around these courageous individuals who made a really hard decision uh, in the face of a lot of pressure to not carry the baby to full term, made that decision. We want to rally around them. We say a, a lot, and this is an unpo- unpopular opinion, um, but if you, <laughs> this is not in my notes, and you may leave the church because I say this, but that's okay, I can live with it, um, is uh, just email Natalie. Uh, is if if uh, you are pro-life, uh, but don't support these kind of parents, uh, then you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth. And there's a huge difference. What we have to communicate to these individuals is, look, we're not just going to throw rocks at you. We're going to support you. We're in this with you. You're not alone. We got your back, right? So uh, with that, uh, one of the organizations that we support heavily and uh, volunteer with and all that kind of stuff, many of you guys have taught in schools and run club and Trisha serves on the board, uh, and is this Galleon Crystal. She was the first youth uh, that was a part of the Young Lives organization here in Orange County. And what's cool about her is, uh, you know, I think she was 15 uh, when she had uh, her child and uh, an impossible situation. Can you imagine? 
And so she decided, obviously, to have her baby, and then now she's in college. Uh, she's finishing up her associates right now, continuing on to her bachelor's, and she's now circling back and is on the staff at Young Lives and is mentoring now teen moms, right? And she, she understands from her, first, uh, first, uh, her, her life experiences. So she came. We encouraged her to come to staff last week, our staff meeting, uh, and uh, pitch us on, uh, on her fundraising pitch because she has to raise her part-time salary because she's going to school, so she's working part-time at Young Lives. And so she pitched, and we gave her encouragement. And just want to say that uh, sometimes we, we don't do a great job. Can I just, uh, confess? We don't do a great job at telling you where when you give, you don't give to the church, you give through the church. And we're going to do a better job at telling you kind of what you guys are giving towards. This is just one of the things that just happened to happen this, in the past seven days. And so your gener- we gave her $1,200 uh, to go towards her part-time salary so that she can give back to those that gave to her. So this is, when you give, you're giving to, uh, to people like Crystal. She's the one on the right, even though she looks like she could be sisters, that's actually her daughter. Uh, so uh, yeah, so anyways, you'll see her around, and those of you guys that serve with Young Lives, uh, you'll see, I'm sure you see her. She kinda, she's kind of one of those people that happen to a room, don't just walk into a room. So I uh, just want to say thank you for being a generous church so that we can be generous to people that are really making some life-changing decisions. So with that, uh, yeah, give yourself a round of applause. Yeah. Okay, so we're in this series called This is the Way. This is the Way. Uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago we, when we set off this whole kind of trajectory about the show Mandalorian, right? Mandalorian. How many of you guys have watched Mandalorian? Right, yeah. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty, what did you say? It's like Salvadorian. Salvadorian, yeah. It, there's another show uh, called The Salvadorian. It's a little different. Uh, no, Mandalorian, and they're from a planet called Mandalore, yeah. Salvador. Uh, they're the, the, from a planet called Mandalore, and they have a code of ethics that's a little unique. It's unique to their culture, and a lot of times this, this culture directs them to make decisions that are against what the individual wants to do in the moment, and it actually walks in the face of the popular culture wherever they find themselves. I don't want to go too deep in lore, but the Mandalore was destroyed and all that kind of stuff, or so they thought. Spoiler alert. And then they went to all, spread out all these different places in hiding. So they were kind of immigrants, for lack of better words, in all these different civilizations, and they had this code of ethics that didn't match the code of ethics where they were at. And they would find themselves making these decisions that were hard, that were challenging, that went against the culture they were a part of. And they would get to this point where they, they knew what they had to do, and the person making the decision or the leader would say, this is the, what? This is the way. And then everyone else, like a call, would repeat, this is the way. In other words, what they were saying is, this is what we've committed to. This is how we do things. Yeah, we're part of this other community. We're a part of this country or nation or planet, whatever now, but we are still Mandalorians. As Mandalorians, this is our way. This is how we do things. We talk about how we all have cultures in our families, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our gyms, in whatever your HOA club, like literally whatever you group you find yourself in, your knitting team, whatever, you have certain cultures. There's a certain way of doing things that may be different from other classrooms and other families and other workplaces, right? So we as parents, so you guys are parents, we'll say things like, hey, your friends can uh, do whatever they want at their house. If you want to go live with that family, you can do that. But in our house, in our house, we do this or that. Or you'll say things like leaders, you'll say, hey, in our organization, we value this. Or in our organization, we don't tolerate, we don't put up with this or that. And what you're saying in those moments, you're saying, this is the way. This is the way we operate here. I don't care what that department, what that team, what that school, what that club does. This is our way. And if you want to be part of our way, if you want to have this name on you, then this is how we conduct ourselves. We talked about how, uh, how Jesus never invited people to believe certain things. He invited people into a way of living, 
It's totally different. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and believe this doctrine. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. In other words, follow the way that I live. That we talk about the fact that the first century Christians were not known as Christians. They were known as followers of the way. And the way, the Greek word for that, literally means a whole way of life. A whole way of life. So when you were followers of the way, you weren't followers of attendance to a service twice a month or three times a month. It wasn't about attendance. It was about something that reached into every pocket of your life. Because there will be countless times when culture at large will pull you in a direction that is outside the way of Jesus. And in those moments, will you follow culture or will you follow Jesus? There's be countless times when your workplace culture or your family of origin culture, we talk about the fact that there are great things about our ethnic heritages and there are some toxic things about our ethnic heritages, right? That are some things look a lot like Jesus and some things are like nothing like Jesus. I grew up in a Korean Presbyterian church and there were some things that were a lot like Jesus and there were some things I'm like, are we reading the same book? Because this is like totally the way that you lead. And anyways, I don't want to dive into it. So you guys, those that grew up in a small ethnic church are like, amen, I totally get it, right? So there'll be times when your workplace culture, your family of origin culture will pull you in a direction outside of the way of Jesus. So in those moments, you have to decide, am I going to follow my culture, my family of origin, my workplace, just how we do things at my, at my job, or are you going to follow Jesus? There's going to be even more times more times, consistent, countless times, when you yourself actually want to do something, right? Nobody in this church, but other Christians in other churches, like there's actually people that don't want to do what Jesus tells them to do, that don't want to do what Scripture tells them to do, right? And in those moments, who are you following? Are you following you or are you following Jesus? This is the crux of the conversation. This is what we're talking about as we're talking about this is the way. This is the big question. Who are you following? Who are you following Really? Really? If someone were to look at your life, who would they say you're following? If someone were to look at how you spend your time, who would they say you're following? If, if they, someone were to look at what really stresses you out or really excites you, who would they say you're following? If someone were to say, if there's someone to look at your bank statement, who would they say you're following? Culture? You? The TikTok? I mean, like, who are you following? Normals or you? See, a big idea of this series is that you can be a Christian yet not follow the way of Jesus. Right? You can be a Christian yet not follow the ways of Jesus. You can be completely convinced of the ideas of Jesus. He's such a great teacher, and yes, we should forgive, and yes, we should be generous, and yes, we should love our neighbor. Yes, if someone tells us, you know, tells us to walk one mile, we should walk two with them. Yeah, I'm completely convinced of the ideas of Jesus. He's so wise. You can be completely convinced of the ways of Jesus, the ideas of Jesus, but not committed to any one of them. You can be completely convinced of something that you're not committed to at all. So for the first century followers of Jesus, this was not an area of their lives. There was not an area of their lives that was not impacted by their commitment to Jesus. The idea that you could just believe a set of doctrine and not actually live like Jesus was such a completely foreign concept to them. So belief is an important step. Belief is a good first step. We talked about this. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and getting baptized is how you become a Christian. That is good. And if you haven't gotten baptized yet, you should get baptized. But being committed to walk in the way of Jesus is how you be a Christian. 
Believing doctrine, being baptized, how you become a Christian. Walking in the way of Jesus is how you be a Christian. So last week, Nellie talked about humility and caring about others. So if you like, want to hear a good sermon, go back and listen to that one and kind of ignore it today. But today, what we're going to talk about is love. Love. And we're going to look at how specifically Jesus approaches love, and particularly under the umbrella of influence and power and leadership. Because all of us are leaders. If John Maxwell years ago said that leaders, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So if that's true, then all of us are leaders. And if that's true, then the world is better when all of us learn to lead better. Whether you're leading yourself, your family, your household, or you're leading a Fortune 100 company, whatever you're doing, you're a leader because you have influence. So let's see how Jesus approaches leadership. John 13, uh, he's having his last meal with his disciples. Um, I think Leonardo was there. He took a picture of it. You guys have seen the famous picture. So John 13, uh, this is what happens. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So the writer wants us to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the most powerful man on earth. He came from heaven. He's going to return to heaven. He's the only one that's not tethered to earth like us. We can't just go freely between, you know, heaven and earth. Jesus can. He comes from God. He is God. He knows everything. And he says that he has all authority, all authority. Right? So he is now surrounded by people who are literally beneath him. Right? So what do you do? What do you do with that kind of power? What do you do when you can get anyone to do anything you want them to do? What do you do when you literally created time and space that these individuals live in? What do you do when everyone is beneath you? He's the only one that can say that everyone is beneath him because they literally are. This is how Jesus approached leadership. Next verse, verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Let me explain what's going on here. Uh, washing feet was common in the first century. It had to be. We talked about this before. Uh, we talked about maybe covered in the dust of your rabbi, that whole idea. But outside of like major cities like Rome, Jerusalem, uh, outside of major Roman roads, they were not paved, right? They were dirt. They were just dust. And any of you guys have been on trails that have been shared, like, you guys ever, like, run, like, a horse trail? A lot of horses go by, right? Every once in a while, you get dirt that looks a little different. You know what I mean? It's like, what is that, right? And you can tell, you don't have to be, like, a Sherlock Holmes to go, this one is fresh, uh, right? It's steaming. And then this one is, this one's been here a while. It's almost become dirt. And then you realize, what happened to the stuff that happened, like, six months ago? Oh, that's what I'm walking on. That's a dust. That I'm, that, that's how my clothes, I'm, I'm breathing in. That will become my dirt boogers. Like that's, this is all, right. So this is what's happening on these roads. So there's all sorts of just dust of all kinds on your feet. Obviously, they're wearing sandals. Every, I don't know if you realize, realize this, if you study first century, but they all wore Birkenstocks. So they all had um, like the Arizona Birkenstocks. And then they, they didn't wear socks. They're Christians. So they didn't wear socks uh, with their Birkenstocks. Was, you know, they were insane. So they weren't wearing uh, socks and they weren't wearing their sandals. So when you got to a house, you would travel a mile, two, three away, and you would get to a house and you would just be caked. You would be caked. Your feet would just like 
between your toes, you know what I mean? It just, it's, it's cake. So you would get to a house, and, you know, a lot of, like, a good Asian home, you take off your shoes, right, because WWJD. So they didn't do that because actually taking off their shoes and walking around barefoot would make it worse, right? So what do they do? They wash their feet before they enter the house, right, before they kind of get all this filth everywhere. And what happened was if the, if the host was wealthy enough to have servants, the servant would wash the guest's feet, uh, the lowest servant would wash the guest's feet. If the host had children, many times the children would wash the guest's feet, right? Parents are like, hmm, that's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, I can, can't even get my kids to clean the room. But anyways, the, they, they would, the, the kids would wash the feet. Many times, what happened most of the time is the guests would just wash their own feet, right? But what would never happen was the host wouldn't wash the feet. What would never happen is a leader wouldn't wash their feet, right? So, in some cases, in some cases, you would get situations like this, which are extremely rare. You would never have someone with status wash feet, never a leader, definitely not a rabbi. And what happens in this, in just two sentences, there's six action verbs, right? So we read it again. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Jesus modeled that love isn't just a belief, Love isn't just a feeling. Love isn't just words. Love is a decision to act, even when it costs you. I want to say love is a decision to act, especially when it costs you, right? So let me, let me kind of uh, demonstrate that uh, for you. So, uh, so this, this past week, Natalie and I celebrated 19 years of, of marriage. And then two years we dated before that. So if you're like, if you're wondering what kind of woman is, what woman Natalie is, patient. All right, just loving, patient, because I had to put up with this for 19 years. So imagine, it's actually, now I need your help. If you want to come up here real quick. Um, she loves this stuff. Okay, so, so imagine I've been growing these. Uh, anyways, no, I haven't. I can't grow anything. So now, so imagine if uh, this past week I got her flowers. So these are actually, these are real. These are for you. Uh, and so imagine if, if there were two kind of approaches to this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is. That's who Natalie said yes to. I mean, come on. What in the world? There's, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, yeah, God, God blinded her for, okay, you can take it off. Okay, that's, uh, so imagine there's, there's two approaches I could have with this. Imagine I come home and I give her these flowers and, and she's like, oh, thank you, you're amazing. And so, the, so the first response would be, no big deal. I went to CVS. Uh, I was get, picking up a pack of gum and I think they're gonna throw these away. Uh, they were, they were on, on like super clearance. They cost me, ne- the gum was more expensive than the flowers, right? Yeah, she'd be like, you take these back, right? So that's one approach, okay? Second approach would be like, uh, you know, they, uh, I, I want you to know how much I appreciate you and how much you put up with and all, and all the stuff you do for the family and for me. And so uh, I went to a local florist and I know how much you love mom and pop, local shops and support local businesses. So I uh, worked a side hustle a couple extra hours and got you these. I just want you to know how much I appreciate their a little more expensive because, you know, local is more expensive. Uh, but I just wanted you to know that I love you. Now, which approach feels more like love? Second one. Yeah, guys, if you're wondering, <laughs> help me help you right now, okay? Okay, number two, why? Cost more. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, Right? We know love should cost us. We know it. 
That's why we love stories about the guy who slays the dragon and swims across the ocean, which is, I mean, possible. Like all this stuff for love, because we know what love should feel like, because we know convenient love isn't love, is it? All right, you can give the alfasi. We give Nally a round of applause. Thank you for putting up a taco. All right. So, actually, it's true. I did get that a local florist. That, that wasn't from CVS. And I think I did overpay. But anyways. And the church did not pay for that. Just clarify the church. Did not pay for that. All right. It's like, oh, write it off. Okay. We paid for that. I'll show you the Venmo. So when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, when Jesus did this, you got to realize this was super awkward. This never happened. Someone lower than you would wash your feet. And then Jesus does this. It was super awkward, super silent. He's not supposed to be doing this. Jesus, as they saw it, was promoted far beyond this, infinitely beyond this. And then when he came to Peter, Peter said something. It says in verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Yes, Captain Obvious, that's exactly what's happening. Jesus replied, "Uh, You do not realize now what I'm doing. Look, Peter, you don't get it. You miss it so many times, you're missing it here. But later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, this, he's not being disrespectful. He, his mentality is culturally, you're not supposed to do this. Culturally, leaders don't do this. The, the nobody does the one that we forget that we don't even know their name, they're the one that's supposed to do this. Not you. So he's like, no, you shall never wash my feet. I'm not going to disrespect you like that. And then Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you don't realize what I'm doing, but you will. You don't realize how much I love you, but you will. You think this Washing feet shows you how much I love you. Just wait. My arrest is coming. When Peter, when you're, you're going to try to protect me, you're going to cut off the soldier's ear, which means now you have a death sentence on your head, but I'm going to stop you and I'm going to heal the ear to protect you even while I'm being arrested for something I didn't do. You're going to see me sacrifice a lot more. You're going to see my trial. You're going to see me take it. You're going to see me whip 39 times, skin coming off the bones. You're going to see me have a puddle of blood. You're going to see me drag wood across town, outside of town, up a hill, onto a cross. You're going to see nails through my hands and feet. You're going to see me die. You're going to see them pierce my side with a spear. You're going to see me take my last breath. You're going to see me pulled off the cross, put into a tomb, buried for you. Man, if you think washing your feet makes you uncomfortable, just wait. You have no idea what's going on, but you will. You will. Jesus was saying you have no idea the inconvenience, the humiliation, the pain, the sacrifice that I'm willing to endure to demonstrate my love for you. You don't get it, but you will. And then he says, unless I wash you, you can't belong to me. He's talking about, he's referring to the cross that would wash away the sins of the world. And he's saying, you don't understand, Peter, but you will. And then the next verse, Peter replies, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. 
For he knew he was going to be, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you, under, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. This is a second reference to Judas, who would betray him. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? He's having a teaching moment now. Then he goes on in verse 13. You call me teacher, capital T, reason for that. You call me teacher and Lord, capital L, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Now that you've seen me do it, you need to do it. I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you heard these things, you'll be blessed if you talk about them. You'll be blessed if you pray about it. You'll be blessed if you have Bible studies about it. No. You'll be blessed if you believe it. No. You'll be blessed if you do them if you actually follow in the way. He's saying, do you understand what I've done? And he says, teacher and Lord, these are both titles, capitalized. The Greek for Lord literally means supernatural master over all. So he's saying, hey, look, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? As Lord, I've washed your feet. And what that means is none of you are above this. As Lord, I've washed your feet, which means none of you are above this. As teacher, I've washed your feet. That means this is your example. As Lord, if any of you guys think you're above this, none of you are. Because if I can do it, y'all can do it. And as teacher, I'm saying this is now a pattern. The word example, literally translated, means pattern. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, this is how we do things. Guys, this is how we do things. This is how we lead this is how I have led you, this is how I have loved you, and this is how you will lead others, and this is how you will love others. This is how leaders in the way behave. If you're a leader in the ways of Jesus, this is how we behave. I don't care how every other leader behaves. I don't care, well, well that Christian leader or that boss, doesn't matter. This is how leaders in the way behave. Christian leaders should be one of the first ones to show up one of the last ones to leave. Christian leaders should be willing to do anything they ask of others. See, so many times, Christian leaders, and I, look, I, w- I want to speak on behalf of Christian leaders because I is one, right? <laughs> A lot of times we can set up cultures where we are served and we're waited on like kings and while people are volunteering on, their, on the day off, like one of the only one or two days off of the week, they're serving, then the, the preacher The leader is in the green room sipping a latte that someone brought him like a king. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. There's a reason why we don't have a green room. We never have. We never have. So you've heard us say this before, and you've probably heard it around before, but if if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Jesus has given us his pattern. Jesus has given us the way. Remember the two times that the writer brings up Judas? You realize that Jesus washed his feet too. Think about that. Let that really settle in. He's about to betray Jesus that will get him executed for something he didn't do. What was going through Judas's mind? 
as Jesus was washing his feet. Can you imagine the turmoil? If Peter didn't watch Jesus, Jesus wash his feet, can you imagine Judas? What was going through his heart? What was going through Jesus' mind as he was washing Jesus, Judas' feet? If Jesus prayed for the ones executing him later on the cross, I can only imagine that Jesus is praying for Judas in this moment. Right? So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to end service. The staff's going to come up and we're going to wash everyone's I'm just kidding. We're not going to die. Some guys are like, oh, I got to really, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. How do I sneak out of church? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're going to end service later. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so what Jesus was doing, Jesus was pointing to a posture of life, a posture of life. Jesus was saying is, I want you to live in a way. I want you to live in a way that no act of serving is beneath you. Now, can I say this as a, as a counterpoint to that, as a balancing statement? If you're a leader, the higher up you go, maybe the best use of your time is not running the vacuum but it shouldn't be beneath you to run the vacuum. That just may not be your greatest contribution to the organization, right? So I want you to live in a way that Jesus is saying that no act of serving is beneath you. No person is beneath you. I want you to live in such a way, I want you to lead in such a way that hey, there's a readiness and an eagerness to serve others. I want you to live in such a way that you're not in a hurry. You're not in such a hurry that you can't notice the needs of others. Not so rushed. I want you to live in such a way that you never think you're too important to serve somebody else. I want you to live in such a way that you make yourself available and approachable and accessible to others, regardless of if they can do anything for you in return. You learn a lot about someone by how they treat people that can do nothing for them. Right? How, they, how, they, how an individual treats someone who is on a different socioeconomic scale that doesn't have the, the influence or the power or the finances or the connections to help you in any way. It actually might be detrimental to your career or your reputation. How do you treat that person? That is who you really are. This kind of leader understands that the team isn't there just to support their vision, but the leader is there to elevate those that they lead as well. The ironic thing, the ironic thing about all this is that these are the kind of people we want to have in our lives, isn't it? We know this to be true. We want people in our lives that think about others, that are humble, not arrogant, serving those they lead, not lording it over them. I mean, these are the people you want to be friends with. These are the kind of people that we want to work for. This is the kind of boss you want, right? This is the kind of people you want your kids to date and or marry. This is the kind of people that you would want to be married to, right? These are the kind of people that we want in our lives because we intuitively know that this is better when people live this way. So here's a question. What relationships in your life, what relationships in your life do you need to adjust your posture what relationships with your life do you need to adjust your posture? If you're a boss, do you need to be more accessible? Do you need to mentor and serve your employees? For the longest time, man, when I, when I started out in leadership, I don't know if I was insecure or what, but I literally saw people as either for me or in my way. Right? How do you shift the perspective? How do you be more accessible? In your dating or marriage relationship, do you need to consider their needs a little more and yours a little less? And the random people you interact with every day, do you see them as valuable people that God cares about or just as people that, again, can either help you or get in your way? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, 
You have to adjust your posture. And then he ends the chapter with this, verse 34. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So you heard of the golden rule, right? The golden rule says, do unto others as what? You'd have them do unto you, right? Good class. So that's the golden rule. Jesus elevates it here. He says, hey, don't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't do unto others as they deserve. Do unto others as I have done unto you. Love others the way I have loved you. Give grace the way I've given you grace. Give patience and accessibility the way I have given you. Give the benefit of the doubt like I've given you. This is the pattern I leave you with. Love others the way I've loved you. Give to others the way I have given to you. Serve others the way I have served you. Sacrifice for others the way I have sacrificed for you. Seek out the good in others the way I have for you. Show love with no bounds or conditions, no strings attached, the way I have for you. And he says, this is how they'll know that you are my disciples. They'll know you're my disciples because you act like me. They'll know you're my disciples because you follow the same pattern right? Because you follow my way. This is the way. This is how we live. Can you imagine a church? Can you imagine being part of a church where people actually live this way? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a culture where the leaders in your life led this way? Because I'm sure as, as I'm going through this, you're like, oh, I wish my boss, I wish my... Yeah, what about you? What about you? Can you imagine a church or a culture where leaders live this way? Can you imagine if every Christian chose to live this way? Not because the person deserved it, not because they felt like it, not because it was convenient, but simply because it was the way Jesus loved them, because that's the, pastor, the pattern he left us. Can you imagine if the world saw Christians this way? Can you imagine every time that a, a, a Christian was on a TV show or on the news People just assumed that they're going to be kind and generous and humble and teachable. They're going to be able to read the room. They're not going to be arrogant. They're not going to be self-serving. Another scandal. Pastor gives away too much money, right? Another crazy thing of Christians being living with integrity. Christians serving the less fortunate and not for social media, Right? Can you imagine if the world saw Christians this way? If, Christian, if they saw Christians and said, you know, we may not agree with what they believe, but they're so loving, so forgiving, so generous, so patient, so humble, so selfless, so others-centered. So we'll go back, we'll end by going back to Jesus' words we talked about a couple weeks ago. He says this in Matthew 7, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. What Jesus is saying is wide is the gate, broad is the path that most people follow. This is what most people do. And if you aren't intentional about your life, if you just pick up your feet and go with the current of the lazy river, this is where you're going to go. Most people only think of themselves, including Christians. Right? But if you're intentional, if you look closely, you'll see another path. It's narrow. It's narrow. You have to look close or else you might miss it. But it's a path that leads to life. This is the way of Jesus. And Jesus is there and he invites you to join him there, to live with love, to love others the way he loves you. 
And this is how we commit to leading here at Voice. This is how we commit to leading here at Voice for as long as God lets us lead. We as a staff are committed to leading this way. Natalie and I are committed to leading this way. We will not take advantage of people. We just won't. We will not react to toxic people by responding in kind. Look, we firmly believe that the Lord will hold that person accountable for how they act. I'm not going to be held accountable for what they did. I'll be held accountable for my response to what they did. So we will not react to toxic people by, by acting in kind. We will not throw stones at people who throw stones at us. We will not guilt trip or manipulate people to get what we want. And a lot of times, Christian leaders, we can, like, without maybe realizing sometimes, use spiritual language and make, encourage people to do things that I just, I, 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 think, I think it's spiritual manipulation. Unless we're confident, hey, God told me that I think you're supposed to serve more. God told me that you're supposed to give more money, right? We're just, not, I mean, I've, I've literally heard these things, right? We're, we, we promise not guilt trip or manipulate people to get what we want. We will not treat people differently because of social status. We won't. We won't. Someone doesn't get more vote because they tithe more. Don't care. Don't care what you drive. Don't care how nice your house is. You don't get more of a vote. You don't, you don't get more influence. We will love people even if we don't agree with them. You know what's so funny? I was talking with a friend this week, and we're talking about diversity and that kind of thing. And we've, we've said this before in the church, but a lot of you will talk about, I want to be part of a diverse church. Here's what that means. Really, here's what that means. That means when you say you want to be part of a diverse church, be part of a, an ethnically diverse, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, you know what that looks like? Multi-generational church. You know what that looks like practically? Is you're sitting next to someone who votes differently than you. You're in a small group who the person you're sitting across from, you're like, I don't even know why. You, I think that's insane. That's what diversity looks like, right? And Jesus said, he, love your enemy. If you can love your enemy, you can love this person who just sees the world a little different, right? So we will value character over charisma. We will value humility over hype. We will value servants over superstars. Let me say that again. This is a core value of ours. We will value character, not charisma, value character over charisma, Charisma isn't bad, but charisma will take you places that your character can't keep you. So we will value character over charisma, humility over hype. We'll value servants over superstars. We are a church that lives by faith. We are known by love. We're a voice of hope. Live by faith. We're known by love. Not known for being cool. Not known for how many Instagram followers we have. Not known for how, for what, we're known by love. Voice of hope. Guys, this is the way. This is the way. This is who we are as a church family. If that's what you want to be a part of, this is what you're a part of. If that doesn't sound appealing to you, then, man, I'd love to help you find a different church. All right, but this might not be a good fit. So this is who we are. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your example. You said that the Holy Spirit would come and give us the ability to be your witnesses. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Man, we fall short so many ways. I pray against any guilt or condemnation the enemy trying to make us feel like we're less than. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we don't love like you. We don't hope like you. We don't serve like you. I don't. So Holy Spirit, would you give us a supernatural ability to do this? It's not about us. It's not about voice. It's about you. When people see our lives, you want them to see you, God. I pray they'd be drawn to that. 
in spite of our weaknesses. Would you be strong? We thank you for it, God. We love you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to your feet as we take communion together. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.